Okay, guys, we are in lesson four in our study of Acts. We're in chapter two, which is probably a very significant chapter. Aside from, you know, everything that talks to us about Jesus and about uh, his sacrifice for us, chapter two of Acts is probably a very significant chapter in that it talks about the formation of the church the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit being given. And so we're going to look at this today. We're just going to look at the first 13 verses. Uh, what I would ask for you is, is, as we go through this, I want you to remember, this is an historical book. So this is an historical account of what's taking place. And what you need to know is, is with a historical account... Not everything that happened is listed here, but we're, we're only going to focus on what the Holy Spirit wants us to see, and that's what's listed here, okay? The other aspect of that is um, there are some things, even though this is a, an historical account, there are some things that we can learn from this for ourselves, some things that can guide us as principles or so forth. Not necessarily commands, but things that we can be guided by as we look at this. So let's look at this again today. We're going to talk about a unique event in that the fulfillment of Jesus' promise concerning the Comforter here is fulfilled. Look with me at verses 1 to 4. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a right of a, of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then, appear, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so let's talk about this. This is you know, as we look at this passage, you need to recognize this passage can be controversial uh, because different groups in Protestant evangelical circles have different views on this. So we're going to talk about these as we go through this. So let's first talk about Luke tells his readers that it was when the day of Pentecost occurred. Now, first of all, Pentecost refers to 50 days after Jesus was resurrected when he is when he from the tomb was this festival was actually known as the feast of weeks christians now call it pentecost what happens is is so this is 50 days after he arose from the dead 10 days after he ascended jesus was on the earth 40 days before he ascended so this is the 50th day, so this is 10 days after. 10 days after he told them to wait for the coming, the fulfillment of the promise. So he tells his readers that it was the day of Pentecost. Now Pentecost was the annual feast that occurred the 50th week after the Feast of first fruits. Okay, so that's when Jesus was crucified, was during that Feast of first fruits. Now, it was also called the Feast of Weeks. We get that from Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 22. Now here's what I want you to see. 
the disciples were gathered together in one location. So where are they again? They're in this upper room, which I said to you, it's not just an attic room. It must have been a big house with some sort of banquet area, and there were 100, 120 people there gathered, okay? 120 people gathered. Now, verses 2 to 4 are probably the ones that we really need to focus on and their significance here, and that is the coming of the Holy Spirit, okay? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Look with me now, verse 2. It said, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So Luke records that there was a sound like a violent wind from heaven. Okay? Luke records that there was a violent, sound of a violent wind from heaven. Now here's what I want you to understand. Our English translations don't don't really reflect this, but here's what I want you to see. In the New Testament, the word spirit is the same word for wind. Okay, the Greek word that's used for spirit is the same word for wind. So when you look at the original languages here with this passage, it talks about the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It could also be translated a sound of a mighty rushing spirit. They're the same word, okay? Same word here. And that makes you... How many... Can, can any of you remember a conversation Jesus had with, some, with someone that talks about the wind blows where it may? Do you remember a conversation Jesus had with somebody? Who was that person? Nicodemus. Okay. John chapter 3, verse 8. Here's the text. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it. You cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And listen to what John writes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's an interesting concept here. The word wind there is also translated spirit. But Jesus is obviously making the point the wind blows where it will. So here we have a mighty rushing wind taking place. Verse 3 then tells us something very interesting. Okay, that they hear this mighty rushing wind and then they see these cloves, okay, these cloves of fire. It, I think verse 4 says um, tongue, divided tongues, these tongues of fire, okay? So like, for instance, if you look at our picture there on our, uh, up on the, on the PowerPoint, You'll, you'll see the flames there. Those are called tongues, okay? So obviously there were these divided flames that rested on each one. So there appeared to the disciples tongues of fire that rested upon each one of them. The tongues of fire betray the presence of God. And several times in the Old Testament, God displayed himself in the form of flames. Anybody remember in the Old Testament where God appeared to somebody in the fire? Moses, yeah, in the burning bush, okay? So it's displaying the presence of God. Now, let me just stop for a moment. If you, if you have your notes... 
in the margin, I want you to write down this. One-time event. Write down those three words. One-time event. Why do you say that, George? What I want you to understand is, is what we're looking at here is the record of a one-time event. No other time in the history of Christianity since this event has anyone ever claimed to be in a room with a bunch of Christians and they were filled with the Spirit and one of the significant things they heard was a rushing wind and tongues of fire landing on each one of them that everybody saw. Has anybody ever heard a story like that? So what, am I, what are we saying here? This is a one-time event. What's significant about that? There's a significance when you understand it as a one-time event. What's the significance when you realize that this is a one-time event? Okay. Okay, so you hear what Bruce said. So from here on out when the Spirit comes, he doesn't come like that. This was They did not have the Spirit. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit comes in your life. Okay, so did you hear what Bruce is saying? Okay, so Bruce, so let me ask you this question. Was this event signifying something special then? Okay, the coming of the Comforter. All right. Why do you think it's significant that this is a one-time event, that this doesn't happen all the time? It doesn't happen every Sunday in a church. It doesn't happen at revival meetings. You do know what I'm saying? It doesn't happen when missionaries go to new places and preach the gospel for the first time and people respond. Why do you think it's significant that this event has never happened again? Okay, fulfills the promise, okay. Some of you think a little bit more practically than theologically. Okay, it doesn't need to happen again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because this is a one-time event. This is the event of, of a new error. If you want to write that down, this is a new error. Some would call it the church age. This is the beginning of the church age. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a significance here that this doesn't have to happen as many times. So we, because it's a one-time event, here's what I want you to understand. Because it's a one-time event, this should not serve as the basis for our understanding of other events in the Christian life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you should not take what happened in Pentecost to be, well, you need to have this kind of experience like they did, which is what some groups will say. Some groups will say for you to... When you get saved, you should speak in what? Tongues. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that's not what this passage is. This is a one-time event. There's the significance of what's going on here. And we're going to talk about that as we go on, okay? There's a, it, because this event, even in the book of Acts, and even in the rest of the New Testament, doesn't happen again. This is a one-time event, okay? One-time event that it happens this way. So let's talk about other languages. Look at verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now again, this is a record of an event. So the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. The word translated filled here also means receive. Okay, so let's stop for a moment. The word translated filled also means received. So now that changes the significance. It kind of goes along with what Bruce was saying earlier about this event. This is when they received the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? Because up until this point, the Holy Spirit wasn't within them. Is that correct, everybody? Okay. So the word filled here also means received. This is when they received the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, what is described here by Luke is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Which for us, we know now, for you and I, that occurred when? At a revival meeting, at a church service, when you walked an aisle, when you prayed a prayer. When did it happen? The moment you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Not at some event. Not when somebody laid hands on you. But the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, what you're going to see that's significant is, in these early chapters of Acts... You're going to see the gospel go from here to the Samaritans. Then the gospel goes from there to the, to the Gentiles. And you're going to see this receiving of the Holy Spirit, this impartation of the Holy Spirit. And again, they are different events that take place. Why is that significant? Because it has to prove something to who? The Jews. After Cornelius, you never see that anymore again except with the disciples of John. There are significant events. And we'll talk about them as we go through the book of Acts. Because for the rest of us, you receiving the seal, the guarantee, the Holy Spirit, occurs when you first get what? Saved. Do you understand? Okay? So what he's describing here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now there is a difference, I made a note here, there is a difference between baptism and filling. We say, what well, says filled here, George? Well, again, I told you the word here could also be translated received. Okay? But when you go to Ephesians, where Paul says, be not drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. That's different than a baptism of the Spirit. That's talking about control. About the Spirit having, being in control of your life. Do you understand? And guiding your life. So there's a difference here. What we're talking about here is, is the baptism. So when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with other languages. The word here that our English translators uh, translated tongues actually means languages. Now, some people will say to you that what's being referred to here is ecstatic tongues. Does anybody know what ecstatic tongues is? What, what we mean by that? Charismatic tongues, yes, okay. Then he says like tongues of angels. Ecstatic tongues is speaking in a language or, or supposed language that nobody understands. Everybody, has, have you witnessed that before? Have you seen that? Sometimes you see that on TV and so forth. 
So what, what our charismatic friends would say is, is this is what's happening here in chapter 2. That is not possible because the context tells us something different. And we're going to see in the context that there were people from other nations who heard their own language being spoken. Okay? Now, when you talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, there it talks about tongues. That is actually talking about ecstatic tongues. That's That tongues is ecstatic tongues, which is completely different than what we're talking about here in Acts chapter 2. Do you understand? Okay, yes, Lord. It's the context, it's the word and the context. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, it's still the same word, but the meaning is different because the context tells you the meaning is different. Do you understand? You've got to look at what the context says. So what the context says here, look at verses 9, uh, verse 8. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. So the context is telling you that they're speaking another language. So, okay, let me, let's put it down to a level where everybody can understand, okay? Let's say this event was happening right now with us, okay? This event was happening right now with us, all right? So the Holy Spirit fills us, we begin to speak in other languages. That would be like, okay, then all of a sudden, Sam starts speaking in Chinese. And Bruce starts speaking in Russian. And Denny starts speaking in Swahili. Okay? Do, 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 do you know what I'm saying? And, you, and everybody begins to speak a different language. And, and you go out of the building, and there are people from all those countries there, and they hear you proclaiming the goodness of God in their own what? Language. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, actually, they're not Gentiles. They're from those countries, but you're going to see the context tells us that they were pilgrims, meaning Jews who were from those countries. Okay? Jews who were from those countries. So when they were filled, they began to speak in other languages. Okay, so now let's look at verses 5 through 11, and we're going to talk about who heard them, the pilgrims, okay? And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, so right off the bat, it's telling us these people who heard them are what? Jews. Devout men from what? Every Nation. Okay? Now, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own languages. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthian and Medes and Amalites and dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, and Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of 
Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in their own, in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. All right, so let's stop. During the feast, so again, remember now, why are all these folks in Jerusalem? Well, it's the Feast of Weeks. Do you understand? The pilgrims would come to Jerusalem, because that's where the temple was. They would make the pilgrimage to be there for these religious festivals. And so it's the Feast of Weeks that we call Pentecost, okay? It's the Feast of Weeks. So during the feast, there were devout Jewish pilgrims from numerous nations, okay? Devout Jewish pilgrims from numerous nations, And so the sound of the Spirit's coming drew a crowd together. So it's not just the people in the upper room who heard the sound. Who else heard the sound? Everybody else did. And so it gathered a what? Crowd. Like, okay, let me, let me just kind of think of it for a moment. Let's say, let's say there was, there was a big explosion down at the light here. Do you think that would draw a crowd? Because everybody's what? Curious. You know what I'm saying? Curious. Everybody's curious. Everybody's going to go, look, what in the world's going on? What was that? Okay? So the sound of the Spirit's coming drew a crowd together. Now, here's what's interesting. They were amazed to hear Galileans speaking their own national languages. Basically, I want you to understand how Galileans were viewed. Galileans were basically looked down by the people of Judea. Because they were like... Hicks. Did you understand what I'm saying? They were looked down as the uneducated. They were looked down as the people who were just... It's almost like, you know, how people make fun of people from West Virginia. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of that mentality, okay, that they're just plain, dumb country people who don't know nothing, okay? And and so they're amazed because they come outside and they see these folks. They must have even dressed different a little bit, you know? Maybe they wore camo, okay? And, uh, you know, so there they are. And they're speaking in other languages. And so all these other people are like, these are Galileans. How do they know how to, how to speak like us? It'd be like somebody from Kellytown knowing Mandarin Chinese. You would be amazed at that, wouldn't you? You know? And, and it'd be like, how is that possible that these Galileans can speak our mother language? Okay? Can speak our mother language. So they were amazed to hear the Galileans speaking their own language. So Luke lists the languages of the people surrounding the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I want you to notice with me. Verse 10. It says that there were also visitors from where? Look at verse 10. Rome. Who, who were the visitors? Both Jews and what? Proselytes. That's, that's Gentiles who became Jewish. Now, why do you think that's significant that that's listed there? 
Why do you think that's significant? Anybody? Where are you? What are you getting at, George? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just... Rome's in control. Okay, yeah, okay. What? Okay, so okay, you, so the church started up, you're saying. Where do you think the start of the church happened? From these people. Okay, now, because here's the thing. There is one group that says that who started the church in Rome. Anybody know? That wasn't Paul. Peter. And it's not possible. Why do we know that? Okay, because when you get to the, at chapter 28 of Acts... You'll see, first of all, Paul went to Rome before Peter did, okay? Paul went to Rome before Peter did. But what you also see is that the letter Paul wrote to the Romans was written before he was arrested and ended up going to Rome. So he's writing a group of believers in Rome. Peter's not mentioned in that letter. And when that letter, you already see that there's this big church that's there. And then you get to Acts 28 when he lands in Italy. And it says in Acts 28 that believers came down from Rome to meet Paul. Okay? So there's already a church there. So who started the church? Probably these Jewish and proselyte believers who accepted Christ at Pentecost. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then they went back. And then they went back. So what I want you to see is, so who do we know specifically started the church in Rome? We have no clue what their name was. Do you understand? But we can point to the start of the Roman church by going all the way back to where? Acts chapter 2. Do you understand what I'm saying? Acts chapter 2. Because by the time Paul gets to Rome, there's already a group of believers there. Do you understand? There's already a group of believers there. So it can't be Peter. And it sure wasn't Paul. The only logical assumption is it came out of here. Out of Pentecost because there were visitors from there. Okay? So let's go on. They heard the disciples declaring the mighty works of God in their own languages. Now, let's look at the response. Look at twelve and verse 12 and 13. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? And others, mocking, said, They're full of new wine. Okay, so we see two responses. First of all, they're perplexed. Some of them who were gathered were perplexed concerning the meaning of the, the events. So some of them are like, what, what does all this mean? What's the significance of this? Okay? Why is this happening? Isn't that natural questions? You know, you have a big explosion downtown, and, and, and people gather around like, how did that happen? What's going on here? That's natural questions, right? But there were others. Now, you got to remember, this is in the morning. Peter's going to tell us exactly what time later on. This is in the morning. But some, there were others who mocked the disciples, saying that they were drunk. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I lived with an alcoholic. 
And before I became a Christian, I drank. I don't recall ever speaking in another language. I just recall the language that I spoke in being slurred. Yes, a bunch of different languages by a bunch of different drugs. That's exactly right. So, I mean, it would be a miracle for one, right? A miracle for one, let alone 120. Do you understand? Let alone 120. So there were others who mocked the disciples by saying that they were drunk. Now, this sets up Peter's message. So that's what we're going to study next week.